WERU Community Radio is celebrating 30 years on the air. That's 30 years of music brought to you by volunteer programmers from your own communities. 30 years of sharing the stories of the people who call this region home, often told by the people who lived those stories. 30 years of live local programming made possible by the support of our listeners, listeners like you. If you have received a renewal letter from us, or have never made a gift to WERU before, we encourage you to take a minute to show your support for your community radio station now. Make a gift at WERU.org using our secure online donation form. Call in your support at 207-469-6600 or mail your gift to WERU, P.O. Box 170, East Orland, Maine, 04431. Your support today is the promise of a stronger WERU tomorrow. Thank you. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from Front Street Shipyard, a Midcoast, Maine boat building, repair, and storage facility located in Belfast. Front Street Shipyard on Penobscot Bay, offering dockage, service, and amenities for owners, captains, and crew. Online at frontstreetshipyard.com or 930-3740. Support for WERU also comes from Bruce Parley Incorporated, specializing in custom-built staircases and also fine-finished carpentry on yachts, trolleys, etc. since 1998, in Trenton at 479-4269 or brparley at gmail.com. Just a few seconds before 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Boat Talk with your hosts Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next. Good morning. Good morning. It is a good morning, too. It's above freezing, and it looks like it's going to be a, a warm week ahead here at Community Radio WERU-FM Blue Hill 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor, and on the web at WERU.org. It's time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio. Boat Talk is a call-in show for people contemplating things naval with your rusty anchors, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. And uh, we uh, generally just launch right into whatever is current. And let's... Uh, yeah, twofer. Yeah. <laughs> He's the bunny one. Yep. It is uh, the right season to launch into most anything around here. We're... Uh, there probably are a few boats already in the water, maybe a couple of floats. Yeah, we see. we can definitely talk about launch season. Uh, truth is, boat talk, uh, the agenda, so to speak, has been evolving right up until the last minute here, and some of it didn't hatch, and, and uh, some of it might and might not, and we're not really too upset about the whole thing. We'll nope. figure it out as, as it comes. We know how it's going to start, and imagine how it might end, and in between, uh, you know. Yep, and we also have a lot of input, too. The number to call to get in boat talk is... 866-625-9378, or you can go online to uh, boattalk at gmail.com, boattalk at gmail.com, and uh, we'll take most any kind of input. And we have a, a caller already, Mike. Um, i like to start with uh, we'd like to dedicate the whole affair this morning to our friend, the late, great David Moses Bridges, past McQuaddy. That's a good uh, idea, yeah. Pass McQuaddy, uh, uh, birch bark canoe builder, uh, basket maker, and respected elder who unfortunately died of cancer. Uh, Hardly an elder. Uh, a little bit more than a year ago at the unfortunate young age of 54 years old. And uh, we'll uh, talk more about that in a minute, but we need to answer the phone. Yep. Let's go, let's go to Yo. Good morning, Yo. What's up? Good morning. This is Captain Yo in Tremont. I'll pose my questions and ring off. In our last episode, Mike told us water-based paint is both safer and easier to clean up than alkyd paint. 
Clearly, volatile solvents are toxic to breathe, and water-soluble paint reduces fire hazard. However, my experience with water-based bottom paint was I breathed just as much copper as I ever did with red hand, and though cleaning my brush was easy, what do you do with the red water? For decades, I let my thinner settle out and reuse it. Which is worst? Not long ago, I heard, was it on Boat Talk? That sea level at the Norfolk Naval Base is rising at twice the average global rate. That reminded me of the dip in sea level around the Maldives, which, if the sea were level, would put those islands under 300 feet of water. My question, is the sea truly not level? And if not, why? Thank you for putting on this program, and thank you to everyone for being Community Radio. Well, there's a couple of things going on there. You know anything about water-based bottom paint? I do not. No, I, I'm, I'll swear ignorance huh? in that case. We did mention when I was on last time, though, about electric bottom paint, which is maybe one Speak solution. of that just for a moment, would you? Okay. Um, there are, we probably know by now, things called LEDs, little light-emitting diodes. Um, they're made so small now that they're little teeny flakes, and somehow they're able to orient these light-emitting diodes so they're all in a row, and you can run a charge through them and make them light up. And the idea with that uh, whole array of light-emitting diodes, these ones emit ultraviolet light, which is um, detrimental to uh, marine growth. And you can't, they can't tolerate ultraviolet light. So the, you run a charge through your little LED-coated bottom, and they uh, light up, make UV light, and there uh, no chemicals in um Involved, except for however you get those little LEDs to stick on your boat. Okay, I'm uh, wondering what kind of training I'm going to need to uh, understand these systems. Yeah, uh, applications, yes, it's probably pretty complicated. They're yeah. talking about this for commercial use. The, here, here's the bottom of the line: um, uh, water is the stuff of life. There is no life on this planet without water. It's, right. it's, it's everything, whether whether or not. Okay. Yeah, it's also the garbage yeah, bo- stuff too. Boats generally float in water. And, uh, you know, that makes them a habitable surface, and things will want to grow always everywhere, Um, the constant struggle. Now, um, really good poisons are really poison, and, you know, arguably we don't want to be poisoned. We'd like to coexist if we could, but there's the line there, I guess, of of, uh, how you approach that. You can't be uh, popping underneath your boat all the time with a uh, paint scraper to to clean up the bottom every time you want to go for a uh, sail. Uh, that won't work. We left the uh, Gloucester, Massachusetts Yacht Club one time in a little, uh, it was a Morris uh, sailboat, and it hadn't moved. It had been launched in the spring and, and stayed on the mooring all summer. This was uh, September 30th, as I well remember, because I spent about an hour overboard. And we left the uh, uh, Gloucester uh, breakwater. Couldn't get the boat going more than about two miles an hour. And had to turn around and go back to the moor. And I jumped overboard and uh, with a knife scraped the uh, bottom in the propeller. And I'm telling you what, it was so bad that when I came back aboard, especially from uh, holding on to the propeller and the shaft, my, my hands were shredded from the barnacles as well. Ooh, bar- I didn't wow. want to get That's back on board because I, I was bleeding so badly. Yeah. I cut my hands badly. But again, a better poison. I shouldn't be in the water at the end of September. Uh, you know. Yeah. Well, we do have another phone call, so let's uh, go right directly to that. Well, Michael, you're up next. What's up with Boat Talk? Oh, hi. How are you doing? I guess I'm calling in to talk about the uh, benefit that's happening at the Grand Theater on April 21st. Yeah, it's our friend Michael Reisman from the Beth Wright Cancer Center in Ellsworth, Maine. And, Michael, we just mentioned we're dedicating the whole program to our friend David Moses Bridges this morning. And uh, you can help tell us why there's a benefit coming up. Well, uh, again, the benefit is uh, the of a... Uh, the movie is the documentary is made by a uh, Southwest Harbor filmmaker Tom Willie, and he made a movie that uh, he's called Rhythms of the Heart, 
that's the story of David Bridges, uh, a Passamaquoddy craftsman who specialized in birch bark canoe making and, and basketry. And uh, David uh, was diagnosed with cancer. And so uh, the film does talk about how he balanced his family life, artwork, and culture while undergoing treatment for cancer. We've seen the film. Alan and I have both seen the film. It's it's uh, what I would call wicked sweet. It's very well made. Too. Yeah, and it's Good not job, only Tom. it's not only the story of a native craftsman. Um, it's it's a love story. Yep. And it turns into a tragedy. Yep. You know. Yep. It, well, yeah. It's uh, dealing with cancer is a very uh, emotional and hard thing to do. I, I think one of the things. Uh, David certainly uh, uh, dealt with it uh, with courageous. With, he was very courageous, and uh, he, I think, he uh, made the best of a, of a bad situation. It's interesting that I never really spoke to David. Most all my dealings were, were with Patricia, his wife, and uh, and uh, she was able to uh, share David's story with with us and and also this uh, her story as a caregiver which uh is is a very uh challenging one uh, when you're uh, caregiving for somebody with cancer well michael let's let's uh go to the helping people uh help each other part uh what's the mission of the beth Wright cancer center in ellsworth yep our, our mission is to offer help hope knowledge and support to cancer patients their families caregivers and Friends, by providing a source of information, social supports, and compassion through all stages of the cancer journey. So that means that we can do a lot of things to help people. Uh, we, we offer direct services like uh, we, we offer financial assistance. We offer uh, the ability to come to the center and also to, uh, in your own community, attend uh, complimentary therapy sessions. Uh, We've been going for 14 years, so if anybody has a question about uh, what cancer resources are out there or, or some uh, a specific need that they have with cancer, we, we are usually able to answer that question or we can direct somebody um, to somebody who can answer that question. Michael, I'm watching some of this go down right now, okay? And uh, to say that it's stressful is a bit of an understatement. The other thing that I'm... Uh, um, beyond horrified to to be watching right now is the American medical system doesn't seem to be very well coordinated unless it's sending bills. Yeah. Um, treatment uh, doesn't seem to, uh, again, be coordinated between different entities and, and uh, uh, seems to be quite expensive, but ultimately uh, a little frustrating nowadays. Um, you obviously helped uh, Patricia and her family. Yep. While David yeah. was dying? It, it, it certainly is a challenge. I think uh, since we've gotten going, I think we've seen that things are be, being coordinated uh, better. But, you know, there are a lot of moving parts, and it's, it's not a, a you know, you, uh, you might start your treatment in Brewer, and then something comes up, and then you need to go to Portland or, or Boston, and uh, it, it definitely can be stressful. One of the things we did uh, work with Patricia on was uh, helping her with maybe getting uh, – David had a lot of his treatment in Portland and then also in Boston. And uh, so – He we doesn't live to, there, you know. Pardon, yeah, and we yeah. were able to tell, tell Patricia about a, a program in Boston where there are volunteers who uh, uh, open their homes for uh, for cancer patients or medical patients and their caregivers to – so they can stay uh, with just a small donation uh, while they're getting treatment in Boston. And it's an organization called Hospitality Homes that that does that. So that's, again, one of those things which is uh, they've been going since 1983, but not everybody knows about them. And, and so having an organization that can uh, try and uh, put these pieces together is, is helpful. One of the things, you know, and it's, it was shown in the, in the movie, David was 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 also uh, uh, fortunate that he had a, a, a very supportive family who had uh, who really helped him a lot 
his sister is a nurse who was in lives in Portland, and so she was very instrumental in making sure he he got the treatment that he needed. And uh, his mother was was very supportive. And so, uh, the Beth Wright Center we we work best when when you know the uh, people have uh, some strong support themselves. But um, if they don't have that strong support, then we can offer more support for them. Excellent. Um, like to make a little theme this morning of, of uh, helping people. And, and what I find when I'm off delivering boats, especially uh, when you need help, you need people to help you help you. Uh, right. Uh, to, you need to help people help you. Well, you know, it's interesting. And one of the things, there are a lot of people out there in the community who want to help, and, and sometimes they don't know how to help. Uh, when a situation like this arises. So uh, one of the benefits of having a Beth Wright Center is that people can reach out to the Beth Wright Center and say, I want to help people who have need, and then we could direct them to where that need is. Uh, uh, one example, there's a group of people on Mount Desert Island, who, uh, volunteers who are making uh, meals for cancer patients. They're called, their, their organization is called Home Cooked Healing. And actually, we were able to connect uh, Patricia with that organization, and, and they were able to deliver some meals to, to David uh, and his family uh, uh, while he was go- undergoing treatment. So uh, I think there are a lot of people in our community is, is uh, a caring community, and uh, again, but sometimes it needs coordination, and uh, I think that's one of the things we can help with. Oh, uh Excellent. I run into the Edensong uh, hospice mm-hmm. singers from MDI yep. just yep. recently, too, yep. and I'm telling yep. you one of the most emotionally challenging moments of my life. Yeah. Uh, but what a yeah. wonderful thing. Well, one of our, our new program and volunteer coordinator at the Beth Wright Center is a woman named Amy Kerman, and she is a member of the Edensong singers. And so, yep, and, and we've, you know, we've referred or told people about this program of uh, hospice volunteers of Hancock County. It's a, it's a great program, and uh, yeah, it, it is a moving thing. Well, we'll talk, we'll get back to the Beth Wright Center uh, and contact information before we leave. Talking to Michael Reisman, you're you're the director, aren't you, Michael? I'm the executive director. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, now, one more thing about this uh, this uh, documentary film, Rhythms of the Heart, by Tom Wiley. It's uh, based on the life of uh, David Moses Bridges. Uh, it's a benefit at the Grand, Saturday, right. April 21st. There's right. a social starting yep. at 6 o'clock. Movie starts at 7, but starting at 6, we got hors d'oeuvres. we got a uh, cash bar and yep. a lobby full of uh, David's work. Uh, can you tell us something about what will be on display? Yeah, we. Uh, there, uh, there is uh, going to be his uh, uh, display of some of his uh, birch bark baskets. And uh, we're hoping, one of the things with the Grand, uh, it, we're still working on the space, but we're hoping that uh, one of the, a model of his canoe will be there, a two-foot model of his, uh, one of his canoes. And so we're hoping that'll be there. And, and again, a selection of birch bark baskets. This is being um, uh, curated and, uh, by the Abbey Museum, that the exhibit at, at the Grand Theater. Right? And so we've got to make sure that his uh, his work is is uh, is, display, is displayed safely, and so uh, we hope to have the model canoe, and uh, we're just doing the final details on on his uh, on what will be exhibited. But the Abbey Museum has been very supportive; they've been a part of this uh, project from the beginning, and we were excited that they agreed to take part uh, and and show some of David's works. Cool. Uh, most of us don't get to carry birch bark task pack baskets around, but it's pretty cool to see them. Right, you know, right. Other things, yeah. And again, you you mentioned he he has a they the Abbey Museum has one of his uh, birch bark canoes in their uh, as part of their uh, exhibit, but it's be it's been lent out to a museum in Portland until June. So we were hoping to get that, but that was not possible. Because it's so special, uh, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. 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 And I, I think the film talks a lot about his craft of yeah. making canoes. Yeah. Uh, it's at the uh, Port- Portland Museum of Art right in downtown Portland. I've seen it there. Yeah, okay. Um, I 
David Moses was on Boat Talk back in February of 2013. You can go to the uh, weru.org archives and look up that show and listen to it, David talking. It's very interesting. He explains a lot about uh, the uh, process of building canoes, and he also gave us a bunch of pictures, too. So I've put the pictures up for anybody who would like to see what it looks like before you go to the movie, just to give you a little taste of a birch bark canoe building. Go to the uh, boattalk.org website, and you can click on the... uh, thing on the side that says David Moses Bridges and see a bunch of pictures there. Imagine how much fun Alan and I had as modern boat builders who have uh, been around building more than a couple of fiberglass boats right. to talk to a fellow about building the birch bark. Canoe. Where's Come the on. epoxy? Yeah. 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 And, and if you had epoxy and, and uh, 5200, why wouldn't he used it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you think, is that right? Oh, that's my attitude about <laughs> traditional boat building in I've, general. Yeah, if the old fellows had the good stuff, they would have right. used it. Come yeah, on. Yeah, there yeah. are uh, some birch bark canoe builders I know who use roofing tar rather than pine pitch. Oh, <laughs> good Lord. I wouldn't put that anywhere, even on a roof. Well, that's what it looks like anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Michael, uh, contact information for the Beth Wright Cancer Center in Ellsworth? Yep. Uh, uh, our Phone number is six six four zero three three nine. We we have our, our website is bethwrightcancercenter dot org. As far as getting tickets for the benefit, you can purchase them at thegrandonline.org. dot uh, org, and also you can call their box office at six six seven nine five zero zero, or you can even go to the the grand and and buy buy your ticket there Tuesday through Friday from nine a.m. to four p.m. And uh, uh, you could also, if you, anybody, Beth Wright supporter who feels comfortable calling us, if you could also call us and we can uh, arrange to uh, do the tickets through here, too. And uh, uh, the, all, the, all the proceeds benefit the, the Beth Wright Center, so we, we thank the, the Grand and the, and the Abbey Museum uh, for uh, working with us and allowing us to uh, have this fundraiser, and it's... Uh, we don't charge for any of our services, so we rely on the support of the community uh, to do this. And in fact, this is kicking off the this this movie is our our month of major fundraising. Our major fundraising event is the Walk for Life that's held in uh, Addison on uh, May nineteenth, and uh, so we're excited that this will be a kickoff for uh, for this well, month of fundraising. Boat Talk is uh, glad to help you uh, help float this fun fundraiser for you. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. Michael Reisman from the uh, Beth Wright Cancer Center over at Ellsworth this morning uh, about our friend David Moses Bridges. And again, the documentary is uh, Rhythms of the Heart at the Grand Theater on Saturday, April 21st. Uh, good morning, Michael. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Doing boat talk this morning, uh, you know, uh, still figuring out as we go. I uh, uh, hasn't been too bad so far. Oh well, you know, um, experience we can get away with a lot of stuff. I guess reminds me of, of what an old Dutch carpenter, a master carpenter, told me when uh, I hired him as a helper when I was barely qualified to be a helper. He looked at me. He says, "Until you, you." Uh, he says, you call, you call yourself a, uh, yeah, all right, he says, uh, <laughs> until you don't get in much trouble and can get in any trouble you any trouble you get into, you can get yourself out of, he says, and you can call yourself whatever you think you might <laughs> yeah, like to call say. yourself. Yeah. Good, good carpenter can hide his mistakes. Yeah, yeah, so on Boat Talk, we're hiding our mistakes this morning, <laughs> and uh, we w- might be talking about uh, sailing a boat north from uh, Puerto Rico in the uh, face of last year's storms right now, but we'll save that for later. Okay, I got a quick one down yeah. down near Puerto Rico, too. I was down there, missed last month's show. I uh, was down in, the Virgin, ooh, excuse me, down in the Virgin Islands. And while I was down there, there was a, a warning posted for sailors who were heading further south down towards Grenada. Apparently, there is a volcano that's starting to yeah. er, erupt underwater oh, dear. near Gr- Grenada. Uh, one of the effects of this volcano is that it's emitting a lot of ga- gas. Gas dissolves in the water, makes very fine bubbles, but it also reduces the uh, density of the water. So boats are sinking when they go over this 
<laughs> Volcano. <laughs> Alan, I just had to worry about a tornado in the Chesapeake last summer, okay? I can't worry about volcanoes, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty uh, pretty serious thing. There are all kinds of Coast Guard things around that now. Keep people from uh, all right, uh, uh, sightseers from going well, into the volcano. And, and let's go back to our good friend Captain Yo, who called this morning and asked about uh, uh, water-based uh, marine paints, and also uh, mentioned the old global warming. There, Glo- uh, Yo is what you would call a skeptic. I think would be a kind way to put it. And uh, so we have been commenting on the idea of uh, climate change right along on Boat Talk and, and trying to get a thread going. Uh, apparently it annoys a couple people, but I can't think of anything more important. It basically is uh, in charge of what's going to be happening on this planet. And as somebody says, uh, you at least uh, one time nicely tied it to something local around us, the Gulf of Maine in that, in that case. And, and here let's tie it to... Those damn snowstorms we've been having, they've been up. I loved them. I love them. Uh, have another one. I'll be happy two feet of snow tomorrow. Make me laugh. Uh, but we have had a couple of nor'easters, and from the Bangor Daily News, it says, uh, study finds that warmer Arctic could be fueling these nor'easters. And the theory is that as periods of warmer winter weather uh, occur in the Arctic Ocean, the cold air up there gets displaced. It comes south, it encounters other warmer air, and makes blizzards. This relation is strongest in the eastern U.S. and mixed and even opposite in the western U.S. This is uh, published in the journal Nature Communications, a peer-reviewed journal, you know, scientific kind of stuff. They say that the Arctic warming trend is greatest and extends into the upper troposphere and lower stratosphere. Uh, severe winter, including cold spells and heavy snows, become more frequent in the eastern U.S. It's come from uh, Judah Cohen at MIT and Carl Pfeiffer at Atmospheric and Environmental Research, Uh, Jennifer Francis at Rutgers University, they all looked into this and have come up with the same thing. Uh, Cold snaps in the Northeast seem to coincide with warm spells in the Arctic, and these storms have whipped up strong winds and dumped heavy snow. Um, At the end of the uh, article here in the Bangor Daily News, it says uh, there's some unknowns, and we're talking science, so we're open to more more, uh, data. And it's unknown whether ozone levels are warming in the upper layers rather than just at the surface might play a role. It's uh, the increased tropical intensity of tropical storms in the northeast has been linked to warm temperatures in the Arctic. Independent changes happening. Uh, Other things uh, uh, are possible that there's some evidence as a natural cycle and the cluster nor'easters could be from a different phenomenon other than climate change. But, you know, when you're getting slapped, you got to keep your eyes open and hopefully see the Turn next the one other coming. Cheek. No, see the next one coming is all I'm saying. So, again, uh, you know, uh, live and local, and I say running the planet in the next eon or two. Okay, well, let's get a reply to that. Please. Yo is back on the phone. Good morning, yo. Hi. Well, um, if I'm skeptical of anything, I'm skeptical of this idea that the sea has heights and troughs in its surface around the world. And I wonder if Mike is attempting to answer that by suggesting that superstorms have the effect of depressing the surface of the sea in certain places, which would, I guess, cause it to rise in Norfolk, Virginia, more than anywhere else. That, I wonder if anyone else is skeptic about that. Um, Thank you again for oh, well, on this oh, oh, program. Hold on, yo. Hold on. Don't don't go. You still there? Yes. Yeah. Um, not exactly sure of the phenomenon you're you're uh, referring to. Uh, of course, water seeks its own level, but something of the ocean. I'd grant that it could be a different level from between here and uh, somewhere far away. Uh, I'm not sure. Can you explain more about the phenomenon you're talking about here? Well. I- I wish I knew. As, ah. I, as I said in a previous program, I had looked up in Goods Atlas, and they showed that the sea, is, the sea level is indeed much lower around the Maldives. And that was 30 years ago. And then the recent report about how sea level is rising faster in Norfolk, Virginia, than the global average. Now, that's perplexing to me. I've, I've watched water my whole life, and I've really never seen 
water do any such a thing? So ah. I, I wondered if anyone else is skeptical about those reports. Uh, Captain, uh, you know the tide runs different speeds in different areas right close to each other, right? Depends on the topography, doesn't it? Depends on, on the uh, nature of the shape of the land and the water. Um, okay. that, that is a big tidal phenomenon. And again, the water's changing its depth all the time because of tide. And I'll concede that the water in the Great Harbor of Mount Desert is marginally higher than the water around the ducks just after high tide. And perhaps that's measurable, but the atlas shows a difference of 90 meters. 90 meters? 90 meters? 90 no. meters. That would be 270 feet, well, more or yeah. less. No, it's a hell of a fall. Uh, that 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 would be skeptic right there and, for and sure. If that's true, millimeters? How come it would stay that way? Millimeters, yeah. Hmm. Anyway, yes, I'm skeptical about the bumpy ocean theory. Yeah. Thanks again for putting on this show, guys. You're right. Yeah. Uh, I'm skeptical about it, w- what he said about storms depressing the ocean and causing it to rise. Most storms, storms are, depress are, lots of people, Alan. Well, yeah, they do, but they're usually low-pressure storms. I was so, just telling I mean, you they make me laugh, but you so keep going. Why <laughs> would low-pressure depress the Yeah, I don't think that's I, – I agree with you uh, on that. Did the phone just ring? Uh, yes, we have Ken from Cheese. We're from let's, Goldsboro. Let's give the phone number again. Maybe somebody else will give us a call this yes. morning. Ken called one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Good morning, Ken. Hi. Good morning. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I know how you're doing. I've been listening. You're doing great. <laughs> Just a couple of science things here. Um, on the sea level, NASA has at least one satellite up there that measures it with quite a bit of precision. And uh, I think Yo would be interested in looking that up. Um, on the uh, on the web, it's sealevel.jpl. Should get you into that branch. And uh, uh, then the other. Whoops. Would you turn your radio down? Yeah, I thought I did. Okay. Okay. Um, the other thing is just quick on that the volcano sinking ships. Um, that's probably valid. I, I, I would, no, we didn't discuss that. I can and give that you... was a theory of the Bermuda Triangle, too, that oh, yeah. you know, methane gas gets released mm. down and uh, thinks that there's some exhibits at science museums that yeah. demonstrate that. I think there's quite a difference in concentration, though, between over a volcano and just a, a large area like the Bermuda Triangle. You know, I don't know the details, but I, I've seen the demo at a well, science if, museum. If you'd like some, f- some further information, the name of that volcano is Johnny Jump Up. So uh-huh. you should, okay. should be able to look that up. Ken, another thing I like to point out is people will tell or show you pretty much what they're afraid of. And um, the uh, uh, people who don't believe in global warming, for instance, deny that there is any warming happening. While the Arctic is melting, we can go through the Northwest Passage, and and uh, satellite photography now shows that the ends of the planet are more blue than white in season. But uh, the JPL and their data is something they particularly are afraid of, and uh, you know, and put down on a regular basis. But what a miracle age, because we can get data from satellites on um, uh, ocean uh, current radio. There, our friend uh, Peter Neal. Um, I didn't get the name. World of it. Ocean World Radio. World Ocean Radio, yes. Uh, they're putting out now sail, um, like the fellow did a couple of years ago, the uh, uh, sail, uh, little uh, sailboats to go drift with transponders on them. We can send sensors out without power on them now and, and get data back in really interesting ways. It's a great, great uh, age for data. So um, if any of this is a mystery to us while, while it's uh, happening, again, shame on us and and we'll be so much uglier us trying to excuse and, and make it right after that is what I'm thinking. So, um, yeah. Uh, thanks for your call this morning, Ken. All right, you're welcome. I'll hang up. <laughs> Thank you, Ken. So, one other thing I thought of while we were down in uh, the Virgin Islands was uh, when he gets really windy. The shape of catamarans can be a, a negative feature. You think about it, the, you know, 30, 40-foot catamarans, they have two, well, 
Yeah, you usually have two two hulls with a big airspace in between it. So they're on a mooring or, or a chain or anchor, and they're going to be facing into the wind with this more or less scoop underneath them. And they're not really that heavily ballasted. So, so you're saying the air pressure makes them distort their shape? I'm saying that air pressure can make them lift right out of the water. Ah, fly on more. I've been looking at pictures of hydrofoil sailboats lately. They sailed the American's Cup like that. I'm a sailor. I I base all my calculations at six knots, which is just over six miles an hour, you know. Uh, easy to think at that speed. Power boats, we, we can sometimes think up to 10 or 12 knots, but after that, we get confused very quickly. And these hydrofoil things, which are literally flying through the air and people sitting on the, uh, oh, my God. Um, about a foot off the water. <laughs> uh, that's that's the bottom of the boat, not yeah. the people who are on the boat are way high up above that. And just the pictures, uh, boy, they scare me badly. Mm. So uh, although pretty fascinating stuff, one of my favorite museums on earth is the Alexander Graham Bell Museum in Badek, Nova Scotia in the um, – yeah, right in the Bredore Lakes there. Alexander Graham Bell summered at Bedeck, Cape Breton. Mm-hmm. Way up the other end. Yep, and uh, Nova Scotia. And he experimented uh, greatly with hydrofoils and made this cigar-shaped. He made it out of basically a lass, more or less. It's a cigar-shaped uh, uh, boat, uh, which had hydrofoils on it. It's all wooden. And he got that up in the Bredore Lakes and going uh, – Steam power, I'm, I'm trying to remember. Must have been. Hmm. Uh, might have, no, it might have been early gas engines, yeah. Uh, but uh, this is up in the museum. And Alexander Graham Bell, Google him if you're into hydrofo- hydrofoils. You might yeah. know about it, yeah. There is a commercial hydrofoil uh, day sailor that you can – it's a, more like a Hobie cat size uh, foiling catamaran that you can buy now, $7,000. Want to stay in the modern age for a minute? This um, – I – I meant to try to find out whether this could possibly fake, be fake news, but it seems to be more or less uh, straight up. And, and what I like to say, I was commenting on it earlier about Birch Bark Canoe Building. If uh, your uh, ancient man had epoxies and modern adhesive uh, caulking compounds, why wouldn't they have used them, you know? Um, one time uh, helped deliver the Lewis H. Story, a recreation of a colonial uh, trading schooner, a pinky schooner, delivered that from Massachusetts up to Maine back and forth uh, for a museum thing. That's right. Remember yeah. the pinky he is. Yeah. And uh, so the joke is if you could only take uh, one anachronism with you, what might it be? <laughs> uh, I would first say autopilot, honestly. But after that, polar fleece. Polar fleece, huh? That's probably a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Anywhere north of Norfolk. Polar fleece. I mean, you know, if you ain't warm, you ain't happy. And polar fleece, I think, is one of the greatest, uh, uh, you know, leave home without it. Why? You know, Alan and I are both sitting here right now wearing some. And uh, But the fact is that studies uh, led by um, an Australian ectotoxicologist found that uh, microfibers uh, really – kind of escape and i've been using a polar fleece blanket on the road a little bit and man that thing is all over you from days i don't care how much you shower and you're still finding those fibers uh in different places days later hmm. exactly how much microfiber pollution exists in the art and the environment is a subject to research and debate the uh un has identified it as a key outgrowth of plastic pollution and studies by the environmental science and technology um, uh, journal find that more than a gram of microfibers is released every time your synthetic jacket or my vest is washed. And more than 40% of those microfibers eventually enter waterways. Not good. No, boy. Not good. I think we all should run around naked now. Oh, well, I'm not saying, (laughs) uh, you know, uh, I'm not saying fires and caves. That's not what I'm saying. Okay. Um, They're making things right now. Guppy Friend is a laundry bag sewed by Patagonia. And something called the Cora Ball, and you put these, I believe, in with the wash, and I think they uh, absorb these things. And again, how much of this is a, a huh. big problem remains seen, but you're damn right they get loose and, and go flying and are in the water too. Yeah, I'm going to start making biodegradable micro fleece. Well, I don't want you to take my polar fleece from my cold, dead hands. 
which will be cold <laughs> yeah, without cold. my power voice. I, like I got power voice mittens right. too. They're not good for getting wet, but yeah. they're great before they get yeah. wet. Remember the guy we talked with from Gill who was uh, talking about cold weather clothing? He yeah, was, right. Uh, yeah. I can't yeah. remember the issue. It was about four years ago now. We got to get a phone number, uh, Alan. Make, make, uh, yeah, we need some help. Chance somebody calling here. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Um, the theme this morning is uh, helping people help you. And uh, again, I deliver boats, and and uh, it's enough trouble uh, trying to get somebody's yacht safely from here to there. Let alone you've encountered a problem and you are there, and you need help solving it with strangers. And one of our core philosophies is you be nice to people. And they'll be nice back to you. And we're talking about that with uh, Michael Reisman from the Beth Wright Cancer Center today, that um, documentary, Rhythms of the Heart, about David Moses Bridges, uh, benefited the grand April 21st to benefit Beth Wright Center. And uh, told this story the other day. We were stuck on a dock in uh, Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, and we had brought over a, uh, a wooden boat, a Philip Robb uh, catch that was... Uh, Bought by a Canadian lady and uh, who assured us that she had all the customs things all scoped out because she'd been working on this for quite a while. And when we got to the dock, the customs guys are standing around downstairs being perfectly nice until they saw a plaque on the bulkhead which said, Built in the Isle of Cows, 1959. And the guy looked at it. He says, Was this built in England? I guess so. Oh, they stuck out their chests and put their hands on their guns. And I'm telling you what, now this is not the ordinary ordinary tax of having you bought an item in the States, want to bring it to Canada. This is a Commonwealth import tax item. And the, the uh, duty just jumped about two and a half times. She can't pay it. And uh, I ended up uh, man, uh, sort of brokering the sale of the boat to one of my crew members. Um, who had just let up his his uh, old boat, unfortunately, missed it. Huh. So all worked out that way. But at the same time, we needed a fuel filter uh, uh, bowl, okay, a little uh, Raycor uh, plastic fuel filter bowl. And in uh, the end of Nova Scotia, at the end of the season, we can get one for a fishing boat that's about the size of half of your refrigerator, yeah. but we can't get Garbage one for the yacht. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we are trying to uh, uh, find one. We've got a X. Acadian, who's a retired Coast Guard captain on the boat uh, across from us, he's taking us up and down the shore, and we're visiting fishermen, uh, fitting out for heron season, and uh, we got the lady out of church and let us into the marine supply store, and uh, she didn't even run it. She owned it. She was going <laughs> to give us something if we could find it. Um, but here's the best one. People at the uh, top of the dock, they had just bought their first boat at the age of 60-something. They'd always been campers. The wife had got bored, says, why not a boat? So they got a boat. They got it to Yarmouth, but after tangling with the Canadian destroyer uh, in the fog the first afternoon they were out, they were pretty happy to stay in Yarmouth. And this guy had uh, a couple things going on, including a Honda generator on deck that I caused my crewman to fix for him and then nicely explained to him why the other people around us didn't want to listen to it after we got it running. He uh, stopped me. I was coming back one time trying to find the uh, solution to our problem. And uh, he says, bye. He says, uh, uh, could you come over here and look at something for me? I says, well, I'm, uh, he says, no, I know you're busy. He says, I want to come look at my engine by. I said, yeah, great. He says, well, the truth is, I don't have any 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 clue what you're what you're trying to do here and what you're looking at. But I want you to look at my engine, and if you can see what you need, unscrew it and take it. <laughs> and that's because we were nice to that guy, huh. you know. And pretty soon after that, we had a fuel filter and sailed her back to Maine. Oh, that's pretty. You've nice. got to help people help you. Be nice to everybody around you, and maybe the world will turn a little less squeaky. Uh, yeah. Phone's ringing. That's a good yes. Yes, we had made David stay on the line for quite a while. Good morning, David. Thank welcome, welcome to Boat Talk. Thanks for the show, guys. Uh, <laughs> I was getting kick out of it. And uh, I'm, I'm just thinking a little bit about uh, thinking in, in relation to the uh, the canoe and the epoxy and the uh, rise, the the uh, irregularity of the surface of the oceans. Um, and whose truth? I'm thinking a little bit about, 
how hard it is to really know anything. <laughs> and uh, it's always good for the humility, and um, uh, it puts me right square in the camp of being very open and communicative to anybody I can run across, uh, like your your story, your wonderful story about the Jewel Silver. And, uh, you know, we just don't know. You know, we live in an age where everybody thinks they, that, that we can know everything, and if we just do our life just right, we'll be able to, uh, you know, prevent all the accidents, and we'll be able to, like, sail through, you know, without even dying. And, um, you know... I, you got to flex, man. You, and, and I don't know if they would have used epoxy if they'd had it. I don't know if the Vikings would have been able to sail where they got to us. They put their boats together with epoxy instead of, you know, like very, very flexible fastening. Or talk about Contiki. Uh, you know, flexibility, you know, is uh, like getting old, getting rigid. You know, I, I can understand that a little bit and, uh, uh, and lament its loss. Uh, so uh, here's for flexibility and uh, Irrigidity. Uh, thanks. <laughs> I just wanted to... David, even if even if you can't know anything, you got to make some uh, general assumptions, don't you? Yeah, you do. You got to make the best assumptions you can, but you got to always be ready for them to be unseated by you know uh, one or another unexpected event. Oh, baby. Um, here's what I called uh, my midlife crisis when all them happy assumptions all of a sudden didn't seem to be true anymore. I called that midlife crisis after I thought about it for a bit, you know. Um, and then you make yeah. some new ones, and, and them, them probably ain't true either, but, you know, we ain't dead yet, so. I used to think retirement was something you either chose to do or, or chose not to do, you know, but I'm coming to see that retirement is something that's forced upon us. Um, boat Talk Perspective this morning, my friend. Yeah, hang on. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah. Here's Boat Talk Perspective this morning. I was just reading a sea story, pointed this out uh out in the middle of the ocean, life is kind of simple, purposeful, and, and uh, constrained by, you know, uh, uh, like, say, purposeful, uh, useful things you need to do and, and not as complicated. So, yeah. But, hey, thanks for calling this morning, David. Thanks, David. I, we have a, uh, a message that came in to uh, Boat Talk at gmail.com from Annie over at Wooden Boat. She wanted just to remind us that the uh, Wooden Boat Show is coming up in June, um, June 22nd to 24th. That's down in Mystic, Connecticut now, that Wooden Boat Show. Uh, but she also said that the Wooden Boat magazine is now available on Kindle for people who have a Kindle. Mm. You can, uh, I believe, get a free issue. Of I'm, I'm a reader and I've heard of them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't either. But. Yeah, uh, what there a perfect tie-in, though. The uh, Wooden Boat Show, of course, is uh, just a drop-dead classic. Uh, oh, yeah. You know. The, yeah, the big one on the East Coast and the one on the West Coast is over at um, Bellingham, Washington. Yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of drop-dead classics, I got to attend the main Boat Builders show last March down ah, in Portland. Yes. And uh, I not only got to show up on Sunday afternoon, but then I uh, found an excuse to go back just after the place closed and had an even better time hanging out with people, that, you know, not, not oppressed by the crowd and while they were picking up and stuff. But uh, had a really nice conversation with a friend, Phineas Sprague, from the Portland Company, Portland Yacht Services, and they've been putting the show on for years. And if you uh, might remember, uh, last year... We uh, chatted Finn up about the uh, boat show, and I asked him about his wife, Joanne. I didn't know Joanne wasn't well. Uh, we made Finn cry on the radio. Yeah, she yeah. had some issues. Yeah. Well, Finn's had some issues last year, too. They're all well now. Okay. Good. Finn, we'd be talking to right now, except for he's in Hawaii, and it's 4 o'clock in the morning there. So uh, it's not happening. But, but uh, Finn has... Uh, been thinking basically about a lot of things and only that he has been expanding his business now he's got three yards i believe down in the portland area as it says here uh, if we're on schedule the 100 west commercial street will be uh coming online they're putting in a big travel lift down there it's going to make them a real shipyard and uh for uh, looking forward to the new yard being finished i have this is finn sprague now for many years been of the opinion that to promote boating industry to no new customers and to possible career opportunities there needs to be an east coast small boat celebration the issue 
as always is, does the boating community agree and will it support the effort with their resources? Um, Finn has the resources and the experience to put on this show, and he's talking about the third week of September. Um, from the, uh, oh, let's see, we'll uh, try to open a computer while I talk on the radio, and I'm telling you what, I should know better, but... Um, Developing the next generation of boaters and young people in the marine industry starts with small boats and the adult culture surrounding them. Um, if the adults are having a great time, the next generation uh, will too. And this is going to be an event di- designed for, quote, kids, young and old. We have the bones of the existing planning and logistics experience from the main Boat Builders show. We have the space, and they've been working with the American Small Craft Association, and uh, they're setting the third week of September as a third weekend of September. I believe it's uh, 21, 22nd, might be Common Ground weekend, but this will be down in Portland and a boat festival, including uh, food, beer, lots of boat rides. Lots of boat rides. Lots of boat rides. And um, if we were on... um, Scheduled, the uh, thing will be held at uh, 100 West Commercial Street. That's at the top of uh, uh, Portland Harbor. And I asked Finn, uh, I'm, I'm, tell- I'm saying this is kind of visionary to me, and, and uh, he doesn't have the whole vision yet. So the question is, what should we do? Mm. I'm putting, he put it out there, I'm putting it out there. What can we do? What yeah. uh, is possible? I think we could expand something that they've been doing for quite a few years that I find pretty interesting, and I think it would be something that a lot of people could c- contribute to, and that's their wall of shame. Have you seen that? No, explain. Wall of shame. Well, that's when uh, technician, marine technicians uh, come across things that just boggle their minds as to how or why people do such a thing like – one example is uh, somebody installed the uh, transducer for um, a depth depth sounder um, about two feet below the water line with the wire going into the hull. Right All right. There. Yeah. Um, there's many ways to solve uh, every problem and not all of them are, you know, practical uh, yeah. according to some people. Yeah. I, I saw one time a uh, an acorn nut. You know what an acorn nut is. It's kind of like a finished nut that – um, it's a cap nut. A cap kind of nut, yeah. Uh, obviously, somebody needed a, a nut, but uh, the bolt was too long for the cap nut. So rather than cutting the bolt off, they drilled and tapped out the acorn nut. Okay. That could, uh, <laughs> it did take care of the problem. It could be it. done, but it's a fair bit of work. And, yeah. and uh, another one of my principles besides uh, helping people help me is let's try to do it the easy way. Yeah. You know, easiest possible way. Uh, no real necessity on an ongoing basis to reinvent the wheel. Other people are already working on it and possibly have new solutions that you can co-opt, you know, is yeah. what I'm saying. You it seems to happen a lot. Yeah, though. you can save a lot of time on research and development in areas like that. It's just what we're saying. <laughs> you can yeah. do a lot of discovery of uh, failures later on. Yeah, the uh, Boat Builder show was, was just so sweet, though, I must say. And this idea for the show in the water in, in September is, again, to uh, uh, attract – Make new golfers, so to speak, new people that want to go for boat rides. And once they go for boat rides, off they go. Talking to uh, Jason Curtis, too, who's the foreman for Finn down there. Jason was uh, at Gorham Junior High School in shop class when they said, do you have, uh, can you use a wrench? You know, can you work on a motor? Would you like to go over and and hang out at this boatyard? And he said, oh, boatyard, yeah. (laughs) And guess what? Now he's managing the boatyard. Yeah. So uh, that's how that gets connected. And, uh, you know, the boatyard needs trained, uh, enthusiastic people that know boats. One thing that, that you and I know, Alan, from working in boatyards is not everybody, everybody in the boatyard even know, who works in the boatyard doesn't even know what a boat is. Right, yeah. I, How's I, that for a I remember small one, irony? One varnisher saying that when uh, he retired, he's going to take an oar and walk west, and when he finds somebody who says, what's that thing you're carrying, that's when he's going to stop. Yeah, and again, uh, uh, not a bad career, let alone, as I was just explaining to a fellow who was uh, taking up a captain job, don't remember, that the fellow you're working for, this is his happy place, and how cool to have a happy place, Mm -hmm. let alone a private captain, you know, uh, for your happy place. 
and a chef, and of course, uh, I would assume it comes, you know, with the whole with the whole crew. But uh, again, happy place. Think of the concept. Do you have a happy place? And if you don't, you could go get a boat. Yep. And I think just floating around, bobbing, is inherently relaxing, unless, of course, you uh, don't know how to bob, and then. Well, you can get in a lot of trouble in a boat, uh, in the water sometimes. But, you know, like I say, learning is the other rewarding aspect of it. Oh, I got um, one other quick thing I should tell people about. You might be interested in this, too. There is a very interesting article that came out in uh, Vanity Magazine or Vanity Fair um, about the El Faro. Quite a, uh, a long article, and I've posted that on the uh, BoatTalk.org website. The uh, Long El Faro Report, it's called. Did you know, Inter- yeah. Interesting reading. Yeah. I um, Let's brag at the end here. I got to have uh, got to go to Bar Harbor last uh, Monday night or Monday, I forget, it's uh, plural lately, Tuesday before. Uh, Michael Finkel, our friend uh, who wrote The Stranger oh, yes. in the Wood, we interviewed him in May and June on Boat Talk last year, and both of those, I, I believe, were a pretty good time talking to him. Uh, the Maine Hermit, 27 years uh avoiding people and stealing from people's camps up on North Pond in Rome, Maine. And uh, then he wrote another book about three, uh, another uh, story about three South Pacific teenagers bored, wanted to get off the island, almost uh, (laughs) died 51 days later, uh, you know. But Michael um, got to hang out with him afterwards, and we talked about interviewing people. He gets interviewed quite a bit. And he very nicely said that uh, of all the interviews he's done about Stranger in the Woods, his favorite was Boat Talk. Huh. Well, there we go. And because we were uh, don't have a list of questions, not we weren't as unorganized as we were this morning, <laughs> but uh, because we don't have a list of questions and we're not people that are just aching to list the question, to read the question and cross it off. A lot yeah. of interviewers just haven't spent so much time on the questions, they just can't read it and cross it off. Yeah. I don't care what he says. Yeah, right. And probably haven't read the book. So that was very nice of him. And again, we try to make it a... Uh, fun and easy for people and we're talking about boats and stuff we know best and boattalk.org uh, there's all kinds of stuff there let yep. alone archives at w-e-r-u dot we'll take suggestions O-R-G. there too R-G. was just resharing as well if you're around the area there on the computer uh, and you want a good story maybe a 45 minute drive down the road skip strong story of um, rescuing a special space shuttle booster on a barge behind a sinking tug with a loaded oil tanker in a storm mm-hmm. off of Florida, uh, September 03. I'd call that one of our greatest hits. And, that uh, was, yeah. Yeah. Alan, Alan did that uh, interview and basically says what happened and skip talks for most of 45 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> it was easy. It turns into a legal thriller. I'm telling you what, I just re-listened to it and remembered again now how, oh, yeah. how really great that is. And uh, we highly recommend it. And we just have so much fun uh, doing boat talk. We're pretty lucky they still let us, and uh, thank everybody for participating this morning. <laughs> yep, and thanks to all the people who called in and uh, filled in the hour for boat talk. We have uh, special guests coming up on, on the wing. you got Charlie hanging out there next to, to do uh, usually Rich Hill Singer's version of On the Wing. He's been away, yep. uh, Rich. Besides volunteering over here as the director of the Wooden Boat School over in Brooklyn, Rich, a bit of a boat fellow himself, and we were talking about the Wooden Boat Show coming up in June in Mystic, Connecticut. Um, The Wooden Boat story, of course, what a classic uh, over here in in, uh, boaty little Brooklyn, Maine. And the classic, of course, is the, if you've never seen it, the picture of uh, John who uh, founded the place there. John Uh, Wilson. John Wilson, yes. He... uh, Lived in a cabin without a telephone and, and uh, for economy purposes, had a telephone installed uh, up to the road. It was nailed in a box on a tree. Yeah. And there's pictures of him starting Wooden Boat Magazine, sitting in, in the snow with a, uh, you know, plaid coat and, uh, you know, warm hat and legs crossed doing business on the, on the telephone nailed to the tree at the end of the driveway. And guess what? It worked out and has become world class. So, um that's yeah. that's not accidental. It also founded the wooden boat uh, show too that yeah. we just mentioned too. So yeah, and that's uh, that's quite a good thing they've done. That's not just chance, you know. That's about people and heart and uh, working together. And again, uh, boats, nothing more universal. Planets mostly water. <laughs> well, thanks to Amy down in the engine room for keeping us on course. 
Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce. Stay, stay tuned for Trelle coming up next here on On the Wing on WERU FM Blue Hill, 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor, and around the world at WERU.org. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from Gamble and Hunter Salmon.